Scott Osterwald. I'm, the, uh, I'm a research scientist here at CMS, and this year I'm the Associate Director of Graduate Studies. Um, I'm really excited about this particular colloquium because, uh, well, uh, because Marie and I have a, uh, his, we, we are longtime collaborators. We, in fact, is it the only game you ever worked on? Game the only one, because I don't like games. But yeah. I did like yeah, so we worked together on the game. And it was among the best experiences I had. Before, For me, so. too. It really turned me to games. So. And we uh, got that. Sorry? We got that class. Yeah, we, and then, that's right, and you helped design a class that I've been, I have now taught for a number of years since. Um, a class on games and a social change. Anyway, um, but just to give you more of a background <laughs> biography, uh, Marina actually was a student here at the Media Lab with Seymour Papert. She just told me her office was right over there. Um, and, but now for, for a long time she's been at Tufts at both the uh, Elliot Pearson Department of Child Study and she's an adjunct professor of engineering as well, computer science and engineering. So, um, and you work, you'll, I'm sure you'll tell us more about what, what you've been doing. So. Great. Hi, everyone. It's very nice to be back here, right in front of my office. So, I thought I'll call this, and we'll make it informal. So, I prepared a slideshow and we'll you know, go through the formats, but since this is a table that has this format, let, make sure to interrupt. As you have, if you have questions, if not, we'll just keep them all for the end. But if you have a really pressing question as we go, please, you know, it shouldn't be formal. So, uh, let me tell you a little bit about what I do. So, someone who graduated the Media Lab uh, is in the Child Development Department. So, I happen to be the chair of the, of the Elliot Pearson Department of Child Development. And the reason I chose to go to TAPS is because uh, TAPS has one of the first lab schools in. Uh, in the, in the US. In 1960, we created a first lab school. And a lab school is a place to experiment, to demonstrate their practices, to try things. So for me, when I finished the media lab, and I was always working on learning technologies for children, I said, well, you know, an engineering lab or a computer science lab, you build with money, right? You have money, and you can get expertise, and you can get equipment, and you just build. But uh, children, to try things with, you, you, you require a culture. And that doesn't, that's not enough to have money for that. And Elliot Pearson have a very, very, very long-lasting tradition of that culture, emergent, child-based, learning, everything that Seymour Bakker used to talk about was happening there. So then I, that's what I joined in 2001 at Tufts. And I also have a secondary appointment in computer science. And at Tufts, I created in the spirit of the Media Lab a research group that's a very, you know, it's big right now. We have over 20 people. And it's called DevTech, Developmental Technologies. And we are mostly focused on coding and computational thinking in early childhood in a developmentally a playful, appropriate way. And I'll be talking about that. So our age range is four to seven. That beautiful age when children are learning how to read and write. They are learning social emotional engagement. They are learning how to work with others. They are learning about language and written language. So as they are learning about written language, they could also be learning about artificial written languages that are programming languages. And so that's what uh, it's nice. So we do a bunch of things. We create products in the spirit of the Media Lab. So our two main ones are Scratch Junior, which is a collaboration with Mitch Resnick at the Media Lab. So if you know Scratch, Scratch is for children eight and up. Scratch Junior is for children five to seven. And Scratch Junior right now is uh, you know, 13 million users all over the world. And we support a huge community of uh, teachers. And I'll be talking to you a little bit about that. We do tons of research on that. 
The other product is Kibo, which is a robot system that you program with wooden blocks, no screen, and I'll also be showing you examples of that. And that actually, both of these are NSF-funded projects, but you know, Scratch Junior, we are able to keep it up and free to the public thanks to the Scratch Foundation. And Kibo, uh, I got NSF SBIR, SBIR one, two phases, which is really funny that if you create a, it's very good actually, it's very good if anyone of you has research that you want to commercialize into the world, this is the way to do it without having money or without having an investor. So we got, uh, we created a company, I created a company, found a friend who's a CEO, and we've been very successful. Keyboard right now is in 60 countries, Singapore put in every preschool, we did a huge study. My own country in Argentina put in every kindergarten. They did not want to do the study because they're worried the results are not good, they're going to lose the elections. So that's a different story. <laughs> so those are the two products I, I'll be talking to you about, but they started, you know, as research, and there's a lot of research. And then we have a, one that's at the prototype stage, but pretty well researched, which is a, it was called Crispy, which is a tool for children to learn about bioengineering. And my student, Amanda Strohacker, is defending her thesis on uh, next week, on Friday, about this. So if anyone, I'm not going to be talking about this project, but if anyone is interested in how you can teach bioengineering and how you program, and you teach children how to program in life and human life, uh, come to the talk. I can send information to Stopot and he can decide. So we do products because we're interested in getting things out into the world. We also develop theory. These are just some of my books out there. Of course, we do research papers, but the whole idea is that we, we have our own pedagogical approach. It's not enough to copy models of computer science education developed for middle school, high school, or even a late elementary school to four to seven-year-old kids who are learning how to read and write. And so our, I'll be talking about a lot about the pedagogy that has to do with storytelling and puzzle solving that I started to talk with. The other thing we do is we do tons of research, and I'll be talking more about that. We go from brain research that we were talking before to classroom work to on-site lab. And of course, for us at TAPS, it's very important outreach. So lots of professional development opportunities. We have an online blended learning certificate for teachers all over the world that can take classes, early childhood teachers. And then they come for a week to our lab school and we, you know, that's how they call me. I don't feel comfortable graduating people just with an online degree, they're going to be teachers. I need to see them working with kids in the classroom. So that's uh, the kinds of things we do in my lab. And we work with these kids. So if you haven't seen a four to seven year old, this is what they look like. <laughs> and it, why? They are not just cute. Actually, research shows that if you really want to have an impact, and if you look at an impact from, a, from an economic financial perspective, the most impact the, for investment of your dollars is programs targeted towards the early years. And this is research by an economist, Lovell uh, Laureate, Jim Ekman, who did all this study. And the later you start your education and investment, the, it's just more remedial. And unfortunately, most of the CS initiatives really start here, right? Middle school, high school. However, by that time, you, we know we're already losing minorities, we're already losing females, uh, and we're also teaching with a very particular approach. So all the research in uh, early learning and child development shows you have to start early. The question is, if you're going to start early, how are you going to do it? We're not going to do it by teaching C or Java or even Lobo, because these kids cannot read or write, right? And Scratch, even Scratch is harder for them. 
And so then we have two approaches. Um, you know, we work a lot with Lego also. Lego is also a funder at, uh, at PAPS. Um, you know, I started by saying there are two approaches, and I'm making, of course, I'm for, for the sake of the talk, right? There's always more than two approaches, but just let's talk about two. One of them is about puzzle solving, and the other is about storytelling. How do we understand coding and the activity of coding? So, which one do you think represents the story, the, the puzzle making and the storytelling? Which one? Which is which? Which one is the puzzle making here? Yes. On the right. The right, this one? Yeah. That's a puzzle making? I think so, because it's uh, predefined, like, the blind and even already across the right. Okay, everyone agrees or we have some disagreement? Everyone has some well, idea? I might argue with that because uh, a child's imagination is provoked by the scene that's set in the creative one, so there may be a story to tell us What about other people? Everything can be seen as story building, like even the puzzle solving bit, they could start talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were the, the first person was actually absolutely right. For us, that is the puzzle making. And when it, that becomes into coding, you take things like code.org programming environment. So this is what, you, are you familiar with code.org? This wonderful organization that's out there to really spread computational thinking and computer science into schools. However, when you look at the young years, what they do for the young children, this is what they offer, right? It's a game that you have a few options, you move up and down, and so it's very limited. Very much like you said. So is the other part of code.org. Why is it wonderful? It, the coding is horrible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, code.org, borrowing from a model of high school, usually how it's taught, and uh, college, it is very much the problem solving, puzzle solving approach where creativity, imagination, the storytelling piece is really out. And we see this, you know, as an example, and of course, having worked on Scratch Junior, we see, you know, storytelling is a lot easier uh, with tools that allow you to create your own stories. So, of course, in our lab that we work in you know, at DevTech in early childhood, we do believe it's for everyone. Uh, you know, we agree with Mitch Rethnick and everyone, but we really take the storytelling approach for coding. And all of our curriculum, all of our professional development is based on this. So how do we go about that? I'll be showing you a couple of examples from you know, Scratch Junior and Kibo, and then I'll be sharing with you some research where we uh, got some, some data. So how many of you have seen Scratch Junior? Okay, not everyone, how? Good, so if you're curious, you can download it from free. It goes on uh, Android or iPad or anything, but let me... I will walk you later, but first, you know, the technology is actually, I'll show you a little bit later how it works, but before, I want you to understand Scratch Junior with this lens. So for us, we understand coding should be like a playground. So the experience that we want children to have as they code is similar to what they have in a playground. So what happens in the playground? Have you ever been to the playground? <laughs> yes? So, what, what, are, what are kids doing in the playground? Fighting. They're fighting, they're solving conflicts, right? What else are they doing? Exploring. They're exploring, what else? 
They're having fun. What else? Exercising. Exercising. The physical component. What else happens on the playground? Getting hurt. Yeah, they're 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 taking risks. Yeah. And sometimes we talk about that. Yeah. They're exploring. Yes. The they're exploring yeah. the limits, the boundaries. What else? Are they are using language? They're communicating with other kids. They are learning how to negotiate. They are creating new things and new games. Right. They're being. Uh, discoverers, they're exploring. So basically everything we teach in a child development one-on-one -on -one in terms of the domains of development, social development, emotional development, cognitive development, moral <coughs> development, do I push the kid in the slide or I wait for my turn, do I cut the line or don't cut that? Any area of development happens here in the playground. So what we want is that when you have a coding environment, we want to really provide experiences for this to emerge. We're not just talking about the cognitive, you know. We want more than that, and we contrast this playground with a playpen. So a playpen is very limited, as opposed to the playground. I mean, of course, what's the main reason for playpens to exist? Confinement. Yeah, but why confinement? Safety. Safety. Exactly. If I need to go cook, I go cook for 15 minutes. My child is safe. Nothing is going to happen to the child. But who's in control of the learning that happened there or the play that happened? It's the adult. He chooses the games to give the, chi the child and the child will play. And it's okay for 15 minutes. But the playground can be there for two hours, right? So uh, most schools in early childhood uh, will go for technologies that are playpens. And of course, now we're hearing a whole uh, wave of preschools saying, we are a screen-free school. Have you heard of that? Yeah? And of course, I, I applaud them. They're screen-free because the only technologies they know are playpen types of technologies. Where is an equivalent where if you're given a game of letters and you press A, B, C, and you know, yeah, sure, you can play with it, spend minutes. But that doesn't really promote the kind of development that we see happening in playground. So we understand coding as really a playground type of experience. So that's number one. So as I show you, Kibo, and as I'll show you Scratch Junior later, it's very easy to fall in love with the technologies and, say, and the kids, they're gonna be cute in the video, but keeping, you know, try to see where the playground is. And then the second pedagogical approach is this understanding of coding as, a, as literacy. And, you know, it's very popular right now to talk about literacy as a metaphor, right? It's a new literacy for the 21st century. We take it a little bit different than that. We are actually understanding programming as a second language or another language that we're teaching kids. And this is the age where they're learning how to read and write in their language. So what does it look like to use their learning to read and write of their own a natural language, English, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, whatever it is, to promote, to sustain, they actually they're learning how to write in artificial languages, which is code. Yes? So, uh, but positioning like that, we are uh, really against the positioning of coding as STEM only. So in my lab, we're well known for being the anti-STEM people, in the <laughs> sense that we believe that those who talk about computer science or computational thinking and coding as a STEM discipline, they're really, really, really limiting the power of coding as a tool for thinking, because literacy is a tool for thinking. And STEM and coding means that you're only thinking when you're doing science, technology, engineering, or math. But what about when you're doing anything else that you're using coding for, right? It's like thinking that learning how to read and write only applies for the English class or the language arts class. 
ridiculous. We know that we learn how to learn to read and write for anything else. Doesn't matter if you're going to grow to be a professional uh, journalist or a professional novelist. That's different. If you're going to grow to be a software engineer or computer science, that's different. But for everyone else, we really uh, want to understand coding as a literacy. So those are the two, uh, if you need to remember two things after my talk, if you see little kids, I'm working in early childhood, these are the two big pedagogical ideas. Uh, coding as a playground and uh, coding as a literacy. So we have, and I just, what does it look like? It looks things like that. Even if they're working with a robot or they're working on the screen, what they're engaging is some of the same uh, behaviors that we see in the playground. We want communication, collaboration, community building, content creation, creativity, and choices of conduct. And we talk about the six C's. And we have a, you know, this is a whole theoretical framework. So all of our curriculum, all of our assessments, all of our pedagogical training is built around these six C's. While most traditional computer science is built around content creation, right? And sometimes creativity but the rest is uh, sometimes forgotten, or if it happens, it happens uh, by chance, but it's not by design. Here, our approach is these things happen by design, and then I won't bore you with that, but uh, so you, you understand where the framework comes from. Frameworks are important, because when we design technologies, we, have, we wanna have a theoretical framework. Otherwise, it's very easy to fall into a technology that's very cool, that's great, but you know, it doesn't, how does it really represent the kind of learning experience we want to have and the kind of development experience? So in our framework, we look at certain behaviors that we want to see when kids, when kids are using technology. And those behaviors, as you can see, they have nothing about technology. They are behaviors, they are human behaviors. And you can find them in the playground and you can find them through technology. And we know by years of research on positive youth development, if you've heard about that, so positive youth development is a field of child development that has done tons of research to follow kids over 20 years and see who are the ones that do better in life. And the ones that do better in life are not the ones that have the better scores in tests, but the ones that have these six assets, right? <laughs> kids that can, strong sense of character, confidence, competence, contribution, can carry in. This uh, has been very well documented. So our job in my lab is really how can we design new technologies that help bridge uh, these behaviors to promote these assets and these assets to promote the behaviors. And of course, uh, then you have to take this theoretical framework to a classroom practice, right? And that, uh, what you do in the classroom will depend on the learning culture of each classroom, its own values, its own results. So it will look, this will be implemented very differently depending which country, which school, by which teacher this is done. But here are some examples of things that we see. For example, we do te technology circles, we do things like community experts and uh, open houses and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, but these are examples. It's not, we don't mandate teachers to do that. We just provide lots of examples. So this is our framework and we use this for every time we go about designing a new technology or a new <coughs> curriculum or a, an assessment. So, and it's called PTD. And all of this is available for free in the website. We actually have checklists developed and tested and evaluated. So if anyone wants to use this, we, one of the things that we do in my classes is I, we examine lots of robotic tools out there using the PTD framework. And we see which ones you know, rank in which level based on things. 
So, if you want to learn more about the framework or examples, this is my latest book. I uh, invite you to read it, but if you don't want to get the book, uh, go to my website and you see all the academic papers that are more boring, right? <laughs> but they're all PDF. You can read them. It's exactly the same thing, but harder to read. So we, so we understand the coding as, as playground, right? We're all there, coding as playground. Yes, we buy that. Yes, my media lab people buy it. Buy this. <laughs> I know media. When I'm talking to schools and principals, not everyone buys it. I need to defend play. Here I don't need to defend play. Play, which is nice. So let's go to the second one. The second is we understand coding as a literacy. And uh, why does it mean when we say literacy? We really focus on the sense of you know reading and writing. So understanding a simple system and a technological tool, it could be the pencil or the pen, right, or the computer, uh, that uh, used to comprehend and express ideas. So that's our basis. And this definition really applies to a programming language as well as to a human language or natural language. The second is Really, uh, literacy helps us think in new ways. <coughs> it's not about creating the future workforce, as you see in the news newspaper. You know, they wrote an article on my work in the New York Times, and they titled it, The Automated Economy of the Future. I, I was like, this journalist didn't understand, because I'm not about the automated economy. I'm about the future citizens, but whatever. <laughs> so we want kids to think in new ways, right? New ways of thinking. Because at the end, literacy empowers people. And there is a long history of literacy campaigns all over the world where literacy was used as a tool <coughs> to educate the citizenship, right? And this is a picture in Cuba, which is the, the first country that really eradicated, uh, you say in English, illiteracy, right? Yeah. Illiteracy. It's interesting. In, in English, the, in Spanish, the word for literacy is different for reading and writing than for, it's very, but English you only have one word, so it's, uh, it's interesting. But so the model we're used is that, you know, campaigns such as cool.org and things like that, in our experience, there are these campaigns that are trying, except that they're trying to promote the future workforce. That's not what we want. We really want to use literacy to change the world, right? Because that was the origin of literacy. And if we think about the world of the future, we'll require everyone at different degrees to learn how to think in abstract ways and to learn how to program. And so uh, let's use this model of literacy education. We feel that if we really need to look at literacy education to understand the potential of teaching coding and not so much looking at STEM disciplines. And by the way, the emergence of this STEM push was in the 60s out of Sputnik, right? But before that, coding was associated with teaching a second language in schools which is interesting, I, I did some historical work and you look at all the original, then somehow the Cold War, they dropped the second language and they kept the STEM, let's compete. Uh, but that's not what we are, we are about this. So we understand more or less the literacy piece. Okay, now we'll go to the cool stuff. Yeah. So those are, yes. Oh, sorry. oh sorry to interrupt the cool stuff. Yeah, no. um, yeah, so a pushback that I get a lot is that like reading and writing are so old, like language is old, but computers are new, and so people push back on like the equivalency of literacy. How would you defend? Yeah. Actually, when you look, I'll defend and I'll show you through a slide. When you look at the brain, yeah. in the brain, and Una here can attest to that, 
Uh, Not my brain. Yeah. <laughs> language of representation. The brain represents language similar way. It doesn't matter when it's written and writing. So it's not, these th people who say that don't really understand language. So for example, in my lab, I have two people. I brought, uh, I have right now as a postdoc, a literacy, someone who finished in literacy. She got her PhD at Stanford on the literacy education program. And I also have a social linguist who was a professor uh, in Europe and now she's working as a research scientist in my lab. And actually, we talk the same language. So I think that's a flawed argument. It's a flaw. It's completely flawed. Completely flawed. Because from a development perspective, from a cognitive perspective, uh, learning how to use and manipulate uh, an artificial language might have a lot of similarities from a development perspective. It's different oral language because we're born with that. But written and writing, uh, you know, we need more studies. But from a cognitive perspective, we need more studies. And I think it's more nuanced than that, too. I, I, I would say that um, the grammars in computer languages are obviously more simple, right? Um, but behind a computer language is a model of execution that doesn't actually exist when you talk about when you use natural language. So there are differences you know, between a programming language and a natural language, um, and a lot of it is in functionality. But in terms of richness and the requirement for the brain to do language processing, there are a lot of over, there is a lot of overlap yeah. between I, language processing. And actually we got a, with Dave Fedorenko, who's a colleague that we've done the brain studies, I will show a little bit. We got a paper already published in a, a neuroscience journal from a theoretical perspective that will help you answer that question. It's link or help me, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the link. <laughs> so, Scratch Junior, for those of you who don't, who've never seen it, so imagine you're a four-year-old or five-year-old, you don't know how to read and write, but you want to learn how to program. Um, so here it is. So I'm going to open, I'm going to create my own background, choose from a file, or I'm going to draw my own, or take a picture, take a picture of mine. It's a plant. And then I'm gonna have a character because it's about storytelling, so I can choose from an already existing database or on my own. I'm gonna choose a frog. And I have to give behaviors to my frog. So when I click the green flag, it's gonna hop twice, it's gonna grow twice, it's gonna shrink twice. I can record my own sound. I can place that icon here. And I can have this whole sequence repeated four times because frogs love to jump many times. And then I can end my program. And I click the green flag, and there it is. And there it's doing the action four times. Then I can create new pages. I can use a grid because I don't know the x, y coordinates, and I can use text. So that's the basics of Scratch Junior. Very simple, it's an introductory programming language. By the time you're seven, you understand already how to think in terms of abstractions, you understand how to do a sequence, you understand that order matters, that this and this and this is not the same that this and this, and then you can move into Scratch, and then you can move into other languages. But you are learning this at a time where uh, you really don't know what programming is, you're really telling a story. So, if I wanna create a jumping frog with Scratch, children eight and up, 
this will be my code. But if I want to do it with Sprout Junior, this is my code. And I like to joke that we spent a million and a half dollars going from here to here, right? Because it's a, it's a lot harder to design, a lot simpler. Uh, what are the main, so think about our literacy metaphor. What do you think are the main, from a design perspective, the main things that we change from Scratch to Scratch Junior? So Scratch, remember, is for eight and up. Scratch Junior is under eight. What do you see are the main things from the interface perspective? Yes? Level of abstraction, yeah, like which? Well, so, so you use jump, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so so this, this is the whole complicated program described in Scratch on the left is just how to make things jump. So it's uh, described with a very fine detail. Uh, so that's the change in level of abstraction because it abstracts away from all of this. Yes, and, and what else? We have no words. No words, right? So they don't have to read. They don't have to read, although if you put your mouse over, it will display the, the words. So for those who are learning how to use the words, they can have the words, but it's not the default, right? You need to look for it. And what else? There's a big change that you're all expert readers and writers. That's why you don't recognize it. But an early childhood teacher is the first thing they would tell me. It's so interesting. Look at it. Is it okay? That's right. There's yes, no yes. There's no code here, which is disturbing. Okay, but the main thing here is left but, to but, right. But, but it's such a contrast. There's lots of code there, and that does something. This doesn't. Well, <coughs> first, code is everything. What you are talking about is icons. So it's like saying, you know, these are some icons. There are a lot of icons here. There are a few icons here. They're both great behaviors. But if I run this, what happens? It if will I jump twice. It will what do will jump twice? The frog. The frog. You're not seeing the frog. This is what I showed before. It was this code, okay. right? So I'm extracting. The main thing is left to right, top down. So we spend a lot of time because this is a traditional way of programming languages, right? But if we want to support literacy, at least in English, right, or in Spanish, not every language, uh, you know, we want to reinforce this kind of reading. So let me tell you a little bit. So when we launched Scratch Junior in 2014. We got the first grant in 2011, NSF grant, and then in 2016, we suddenly realized people are using this. You know, it's not just a little cute project, so let's start collecting Google Analytics. So we collected for uh, four years. Well, we're still collecting, but I want to give you a sense. Since the launch, we have 13 million users, so all of this is data that we have and that we are dying to analyze because you can see everything, and we're trying to map trajectories of learning. And, None of us is experts on machine learning or anything, but that's the, that's the future because we have too much data and we don't know what to do with it. So we have 48 million projects <laughs> created so far. 1.5 million projects share. So remember here, is very, we don't have an online community like Scratch because this is for children and children cannot participate in an online community. We're about to launch in the summer a community for adults who work with children, but we made an explicit decision. And it's not, it, you can run it without being online because most early childhood settings don't have the potential to be online. So it's, and then this is the most interesting to me, <coughs> 64 million projects edited. So that means that they really they go back to their project and they edit. And someone's getting water on the back there. <coughs> Thanks. So, Yes, Cynthia. Well, um, if, if you're not online, how do you collect this data? 
How do you know there are 15 million products? No, all of this is gets collected from the server, right? Well, we are not there is a server? Yes, there is. A, once you download, the, the iPad is connected. Google Analytics, we don't do that. Google Analytics connects that, and we download the data. But we don't have individual information, so we cannot tell you that Peter did this, but we know what everyone okay. is. Yeah. I thought you were independent once you downloaded. No, 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 we don't do that because we don't want it to get into, when you're working with very young children, the issue of uh, you have to protect a lot of things, so we are not getting into it. So we know, that's why, we know big chunks of data, we don't know individually. We can tell by IP which classroom it is, and we are looking now at using this data with demographic data from neighborhoods, which is proving very interesting, actually we just published a paper where states, where computer science was Monday, Recommended they started in kindergarten. It, are they doing better uses of Scratch Junior than states that are not? And no, no effect what the state says. So we have, you know, and, and countries, you know, we're looking into that. So uh, we have a team of volunteers from all over the world that have already have 48 translations into different languages. So it's really exciting. People volunteer and translate. So we have a nice community. And then, of course, the language that your iPad is registered, it will automatically translate. Yeah. Does the order switch for languages that No, and that's a huge problem because when we started this, it was a three-year NSF project, right? Basically, I went to Mitch Presnick. I said, I have little kids. Uh, I, they cannot use Scratch. I want to create a Scratch Junior version. And he said, okay, write a grant. Yeah, okay, I wrote a grant, then we got it. It was a three-year nice project, and then it became bigger and bigger, and I wish we had thought about that from the beginning. But now, after Scratch is the, the 3.0, I don't know what version they are, is launched, hopefully they have more of a bandwidth to really redo everything, because that's a huge problem. But we really want to do it, so. And then the other nice thing is we, a few years ago, we started the collaboration with PBS, so now you can download Scratch Junior PBS, and you can do the same thing, but with your favorite cartoons. So create a, so it's So when you are four or five, this is how you are using Scratch Junior. It's painful, right? his design journal because we want to incorporate the idea of writing a journal. Of course he doesn't know how to read and write, but you want to incorporate the idea that you document your ideas and your projects. And you know, but then when you are an expert in Scratch Junior, you can do collaborative projects such as this. This is we have a series of Scratch Junior projects all over the world and this was called Lights All Over the World where different people from different cultures use multi-tablet Scratch Junior projects uh, to share how in their culture they celebrate good lights. So this is one of them. We have them all on the website if you're interested. They are fantastic.
you got you got the idea. Uh, so what for me is fascinating that these are the icons. This is all there is in Scrat Junior. This is it. This is your language. This is your alphabet, right? But if you think, it's not so different than our alphabet. How many uh, letters we have in our alphabet? 20 something? 26 in the English alphabet, right? And we have Shakespeare, and we have Hamlet, and we have uh, instructions, right? And with very few things, we can do a lot of things. So it's really in the, in, in the humans, right? And the ability to combine and uh, use syntax and use grammar to really create and express themselves out of very, very simple uh, simplicity. So in terms of research, what have we done with Scratch Junior and what are we doing? And I decided to make this like a general talk, but if anyone is interested in more of the exact data and things like that, I can point you to the paper we can talk later. So we do lots of things. First, in traditional child development approach, you bring, we bring kids one-on-one -on -one into the lab where we can really understand how they are thinking. One researcher, one kid, traditional, old ways. And that's wonderful to understand uh, a lot of things about, about kids learning and development. Then, we do things like just as brain scans with kids. And this, I'll be showing you a little bit. So this happened, so my husband is a neuroscientist, and I used to go to his conferences with him and see all these pictures of brains. Of course, later I understood they were rat brains, but at the time I thought they were human brains. But for me, they all look the same. <laughs> so I said, well, wouldn't be, we don't know anything about what happens on the brain when children are programming. And we're assuming they're doing STEM. And districts are changing their curriculum, right? And they are dropping second languages in favor of, they're using, for example, Florida. They got rid of, you need to have a second language, but you can do computer science, that counts as a second language. All of these decisions are made, public school system, without data. No data, right? And so I thought, well, that would be cool to really do a study to understand what happens on the brain. So uh, I'll be telling you about that project a little bit more in depth. Now, but before we go into that, the other studies we do is classroom studies. So we work in thousands of classrooms uh, all over the world with uh, researchers and partners uh, to see, you know, in one-on-one -on -one you really understand into the child's head and how they think, but that doesn't tell us much about how to help teachers. And so we need to go into the classrooms to see how our approach really can uh, scale and how can teachers teach. And the last one is we do a lot of uh, outreach because we need to train teachers. We need to educate teachers. You know, Seymour used to say, uh, I don't come on the box, right? Uh, Seymour didn't come on the box when teaching logo. Uh, so we need to develop curriculum. We need to develop pedagogies. We really need to uh, get teachers to understand how we're teaching. So what happens on the brainwork programming? So this is a research project uh, SF grant with Ed Fedorenko, who's here at MIT and also NGH. And her expertise is really uh, looking at the brain areas and the language area of the brain. That's not my expertise. That's you know hers. And so what simple? So there are two main networks that she works with, the multiple demand network, which is basically what we associate with problem solving, right? <coughs> and then there is this language network that's very clearly identified. So the question that we had is, how can we, by looking at kids through fMRI, what happens? Will these two areas light up first? 
you know, we don't know if they will light up. And then will also the language area light up? You know, because if, if we think that coding is STEM only, then the language shouldn't light up. So we, the grant was about to work with, with kids, but in order to get to kids, uh, Ev said, let's start with students, with, with grown-ups, right? With all other, because they will stay, it will be easier to run them to fMRI than little kids, and it's very hard for little kids to be programming lying down. And so we had to really create some paradigms that are called, that are protocols that, in my opinion, are very puzzle-making. They are not really storytelling. So the results I'm gonna show you are very puzzle-making because what happens is this technology is not ready to capture open coding the way we kind of program with Scratch Junior. So in my dream, you know, I know there are other technologies, there are MEG and other technologies that really capture the brain where you can be sitting down and doing more interesting things than just clicking a button, right? So we created paradigms that are not storytelling paradigms, they're very much puzzle-making. And we run them <laughs> without knowing <laughs> in two conditions. One was Python and the other was Scratch Junior. Right, so remember at this point we're not working with kids yet. Uh, and then we gave them a task and the children, you know, not the children, the students, the college students lying down had to do their thing. <laughs> For me, it wasn't really coding, but you know, it was the closest we could get to. And then what we found so far is that, of course, the multiple demand network activates in both of them, which is just by itself is great. And the study is done methodologically in a very rigorous way. Uh, and then the language network activated in some areas with Python, but not with Scrap Junior, which is actually just this is, is amazing. Right, because no one has done these studies, and yes, there is language. Some people might say, going back to your point, well, it's because the syntax, it looks like English. However, Ev said that's not why, because the brain, for the brain, is the same. If it's a picture, if it's text. So we're still trying to understand what happened here. In Scratch Junior, there was some language, but it wasn't significant enough, statistically significant. However, I think that it's due to the paradigm, that we did not really allow them to engage in creative coding Right, so uh, unfortunately that grant is over, but we're looking to find uh, new technologies to actually capture brain uh, data and other partners who really have a different approach to how we can study the brain. Yes? I think the subtlety is that I'm learning about is that writing and reading are different. And so in the MRI they can only exactly. read. So you can show them code, you can ask them, like with the multiple choice, what the output is. But they're not exactly. So they're what does this code do? So you're reading, but you're not composing. Exactly. Right? So uh, that ability to read text has more of a problem-solving aspect, hypothetically, than re uh, composing. The creating. Exactly. That you 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 nailed it. Exactly. That's the best way to think of it. Think of creating as language generation, and language generation is just a really hard thing for anyone to look at. Right, and that's, they are not studies. Most of the studies are done on reading and the brain, not on writing and the brain. Okay. And we were trying to do coding, which is equivalent to writing. And so we need new technologies. I'm sure those exist. We just haven't found them yet. So that's a really exciting and promising. Even this is, is promising. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one area. Uh, the other area uh, is 
where we are, we have an approach that's of course under coding as literacy. We created a series of curriculums called coding as another language, where we have uh, 12 hours, 24 hours, or 13 or 36 hours of instruction uh, for early childhood, from pre-emergent literate to early readers to early writers, both for Scratch Junior and Kibo, that they could really be integrated with literacy. So they map this what the Common Core and what each what Massachusetts and what Virginia, with very wide Virginia, uh, say to teachers, this is what you need to teach in terms of reading and writing, completely mapped to computer science. And this is, we've done lots of studies and I will show you some results of that. But what, it, what we're working right now, as we speak, is coming from the field of literacy, there's a lot of research uh, in terms of uh, reading stages and writing stages. And so we use that model developed by Hall and others, very old, from the 60s, that was used for, for literacy, and we adapted to coding, right? And instead of being stages like a Piagetian approach, where you do this and this, this is more like nested one in terms of the other. And so, of course, you're learning, you know, you're starting emergent, where it's like really banging the iPad and understanding how to use the iPad, to coding and decoding. At this point, you are familiar with all the syntax and the grammar of the language. Then you can be fluent. You can express yourself in a new way. Then you can gain new knowledge. You can, for example, learn how to do nested loops and things like that, that no one taught you, but because you know how to use ifs and repeats, then you understand that you can put them together. And then you can engage multiple perspectives and users, and you can create a piece of code for someone else to use. And of course, for purposefulness, I cannot pronounce that Personalized, where you can use, like, like reading and writing, right? You can write anything you want. It could be a supermarket list or it could be a civic manifesto, right? And these two, purposefulness and multiple perspectives, are really at every stage, right? So when we teach the beginning of coding and decoding, we always bring, you want kids creating their own meaningful projects. So, of course, you know, in these early stages, by the time you gain new knowledge, you are done learning the syntax and the grammar of the language, and you can really apply in many different ways. So we are right now, because we are working with uh, thousands of kids, we are able to collect all this data and understand how stages work. And we really, if we want to understand really how learning to code happens and when it breaks, and what is debugging in early childhood and what problem solving, we really need a theoretical model that exists for reading and writing in early childhood, but has not existed to coding yet. And so that's what we're doing, but supported by data, not just by our ideas, right? So that is what we're actively working on. And, you know, I talked before about playgrounds, right? And Scratch Junior is beautiful and it's nice, but there's something missing. You know, Cynthia brought it up before, the, the body, right? You are sitting with an iPad, and there's so much you can do with an iPad. Right, she knows this well. <laughs> so, uh, how can we bring the body? How can we really have the full experience? So, this is Kibo. How many of you have seen or heard about Kibo? Some of you. Great. So, with Kibo, your programming language is these wooden blocks. Mm -hmm. Very similar to Scratch Junior. Actually, I got the NSF grant the same day for Scratch Junior and Kibo, which is weird. And Kibo doesn't require a screen of any time. It has different modules that are different sensors. And they are shaped according to its function. So for example, this looks like an eye. It's a light sensor. 
This is like a telescope, it's a distance sensor. And this is your language, your programming language. And using the literacy metaphor, right? If you know how to read you, English, you can read this. If you know, if you don't know how to read, you use your symbol. And if you're a robot, you use the barcode. And the kids use all kinds of art materials and decorate. So this is a finished product with Kibo. It's really the kid's imagination into Kibo. The robot itself is not designed to be cute. It shouldn't be cute. We don't care it to be cute because the kids will really build it in. So how you program, we're gonna let the expert show you. He's a five-year-old. That's how you program. If you think of the sequence, it's very similar to like Strat Junior, right? And sequence is very important in early childhood. Uh, an algorithm is a sequence. Sequencing is what we teach when we teach learning how to read and write. There is a sequence. And it's when we teach about math and numbers and when we teach them how to dress and what's the order of the day. If you go into a kindergarten classroom, it's all about sequencing. Every kind of activity that happens is about sequencing. And it happens that coding is about sequencing. So some kids, of course, like to program this way. In the playground style, I can't. You get a sense, it's a very long piece of code, but he actually understands it because it's very sequential, right? Well, our job is then to start telling them that, well, if you're gonna use a three, this is sound recording, if you're gonna use three of them, maybe you can use a repeat, repeat two times three, and then they're beginning to multiply, although they don't know the formal you know, word multiplication. And then we use Kibo, uh, do you know this book? Yeah. yeah, very loved one in kindergarten. This is a wonderful book. It's taught in every preschool, <laughs> and it's very sequential. It's about sequence. So kids usually read this, and, it's, and in traditional kindergartens, they would paint the story or something. What they do here is they create a play about this hungry caterpillar that's devouring <coughs> food. And so it's going around and stopping at the food. So, if you are a teacher, what do you think these children were learning as they were programming this? So try not, well, you, you're, what are the things that children are learning when doing this activity? Remember, four-year-old, <coughs> besides learning with the book. In order to program this, what do you need to do? What do you need to know? To abstract. You have to abstract, you have to count. I know for all of you counting is obvious, but you know, if you're four learning how to count, how many Kibo steps it takes to go from one piece of food to another food for me to steal. Or if you're more advanced, what kind of sensor I will use so I don't count, and it will on its own, 
you know, will I use the light sensor because this is lighter or not lighter? You have to do something else that's called estimation. I have to estimate, I have to predict. So all of these things are things that are mandated in preschool and early childhood to be teaching. And what we say is that you can be teaching all of those traditional ways also through coding. Yes? So in terms of coding itself, what we work with, you know, Seymour coined the term powerful ideas, which we love. They are not just content and skills, they are half powerful ideas. And these are the powerful ideas that are developmentally appropriate in early childhood that we teach through this curriculum. We talk about algorithms, which is sequencing, modularity, control structures, representation, hardware software, design process, and debugging. So by the end of our 12-hour curriculum or 36-hour curriculum, either with Scratch Junior or Keyboard, children will have had the foundation for this. And then they can build on top of that. So we don't minimize it, right? So I just want to talk about two of them. One, representation, because it's key in literacy. Uh, you know, we do a lot of games before they actually get to play with the robot itself. And this is a part of the game called Kibo Says, like Simon Says, where you show certain things and you dance. And again, you are understanding correspondence of this symbol with a particular behavior. And for all of us, we know that's obvious, but if you're four, this is not obvious, right? And the other one that I want to point out is the design process and debugging, because those are really, really matched to literacy education. And so this is our version of the design process, right? It's an infinite loop. It, at the beginning, it used to be a circle, but if you do a circle, an early childhood teacher said, I began, I ended, I'm done. And, you know, it's never done. Design keeps going, right? So we start by asking children to ask a question, by imagining a solution, plan, create a prototype, test and improve, share with everyone else, and then based on this sharing, you're going to ask a new question, you're going to design. And this design process is what we use as the basis of all of our learning, our overall design. And it's very, of course, it's very well mapped to science method, right? The scientific method, of course, but also to this one, which is what? What is it? Yes, writing, right. So actually a version of this is what, if you're a, a five or six and you have a writing workshop at school, this is what they teach you, right? And so it's very, the, the, the process, the cognitive process are very, very well aligned. Of course with science, of course with anything else really, when, you know, business, plans, anything you want. So one example of how we do that, this is one of our favorite curriculum, it's where the wild things are, do you know that book? Everyone knows the book? Yes? So there's this little boy that goes on an adventure and there are monsters, and at the end there's a wild rumpus and all the monsters are dancing. So we read with the kids the book. This is language arts class, right? This is their... So we teach coding during language arts, not during STEM class. Because if you look at early childhood, the most time they have is for literacy, not for science. So you need to really integrate it with literacy if you want it to be successful or if you, if you want it to happen at all. So they read the book, and then you can see this little girl. She's a first grader explaining to you what she did.
So, very simple, right? There's not a high in terms of technology. However, she was able to map the behaviors that she saw in the book, really understand, deconstruct the book, and then create a play about this. But what's more impressive is that all the first graders are sitting around watching and listening, right? Which if you try to do this in a classroom, you know, this, if you've been a teacher, you know this is pretty hard, right? And this is because it's engaging, it's fun, it happens. Everyone has their own project. They all want to hear and see what everyone does. And then uh, these are the final monsters that the kids made. Uh, they all represented the characters. And so at the end, there was a, this wild dance where all the monsters were dancing all together. Uh, and we do that for all kinds of different books. So we ask teachers to choose a book that's sequential. And once they have a sequential book, we help them about that. We have a curriculum design in a way that you can just replace the book uh, and, and use it. So in terms of data analysis, we look, uh, we do things like they have a design journal. This is for uh, where they, you know, they fulfill their writing. That's uh, mandatory. But we also they have a code in the design journal because remember the the keywords are shared by a group of kids. But we want to understand if individually each kid understood. So they have stickers for the code, and they have their own code journal. And the same thing we do for, we collect their scratch junior programs and their robotic projects and we analyze and we're talking about thousands of these. And I just want to show a case of one girl, this is a second grader, where she was writing a story of something happened in the forest uh, about a fox. And she read it and she said, you know, she worked with a teacher, forget, doesn't matter that they are the, the syntax errors are not problematic, it just doesn't matter, it's first grade, right? Uh, and the teacher would say, well, there are some things you might want to edit. So the girl, her editing was, I'm going to scrap everything and I'm going to start all over again. And this is, a, this is a case that's representative of how, you know, in, in schools children are not used to edit their work. Even as grown-ups, they're not used to edit your work. And this same girl, when she created her Scratch Junior program, and she had to encounter she created a game for the fox, the same characters that wanted to play a game, pretty complicated, and it wasn't working the way she wanted, so she needed to edit or debug. You can't hear her. So she's finding a problem here. The characters are switched. This is a researcher. This is a girl. She's trying to figure out the problem, and the researcher says, oh, they spoke at the same time. That's a problem. They need, there needs to be a wait. Sarah says, I did message for all of them. And the researcher says, what happened? I just did that. That needs to change. The wrong color. Okay, I see now. Let me see. So she actually, it was a mess. It's broadcasting in Scratch. She had chosen the wrong uh, colors, so the wrong ways to broadcast. But it doesn't matter the details. What happened is this girl, the same girl, didn't erase her program, right? So she had the internal resources to go back and change it. Well, when the researcher tried to do the same work with the writing piece, the girl said, no, let's just scratch the whole thing and start all over. So while in coding, maybe because she was more invested, right, and it took her longer and it was this hard fun, she actually worked with it. She stayed with the problem. While in writing, she chose to get rid of the problem and start all over. But in coding, she stayed with the problem. So we notice that repetitively in writing and coding. And so 
Uh, this is, for example, second grade. We uh, evaluated over, you know, hundreds of kids in the second grade classroom, and we saw we look at how they spend their time, and we saw that when they do writing, and when they do programming, uh, in planning they spend more time writing than in programming, but then. Uh, in revising or reviewing, in writing in very little time, but in programming is a lot more time. So we see this as an opportunity, as a new opportunity to use these skills that they naturally have when coding, but they don't have with writing, to really help the writing. So traditionally, we think that uh, writing can help coding, but we think the other way around, that if you get these habits of mind and these uh, skills into coding, then those can transfer to writing. And those are the kinds of studies that we've been doing. So what we find right now is an average. What we see is more detailed writing in the integrated curriculum than in language arts classes. So when they have to write in their design journals for the coding, they write a lot more than when they write stories for the language arts classes, uh, which is interesting because it wasn't, you know, it's their choice. When they're free to write, traditional constructionist, right? When you are free to, in a playground type of environment and you can write, you choose to write. But if you're told that you have to write, then you won't. <laughs> then knowledge of debugging motivates students to revise their writing. Uh, leveraging programming to help writing. And teachers found that the connection between literacy and programming is compelling, which is, I think, one of the most interesting things because traditionally people think of coding as STEM. And so teachers started to see this, and these are just something. Most of the teachers said they definitely use more sequencing words uh, when coding and when writing about coding, but not in their own writing samples, which is very interesting, right? Uh, some teachers are resistant, and they say the writing here is not as structured and formalized, you know, because when you are taught formally how to write, you are taught in a very formal way. And of course, when you are writing in a different way, it's not so formal, but creative expressions, you know, are not formal, necessarily. And then we have all the way from receptive where they say, I've noticed improvement with details, saving everything so someone will understand. So details is something that's very hard for little kids. When they write, they're usually the teacher says, write more details. And what we've seen is once they start coding, they notice how to include more details. So what are we doing now? And I will stop with that and open it up for conversation. We just got a big grant, $4 million grant from the Department of Education to work with Virginia. Virginia is the first state to mandate computer science in kindergarten. So Massachusetts is not mandating, it's suggesting. Most states suggest, but Virginia, the first state. And this is a four-year grant. Um, we're working with the all 32 schools in Norfolk, Virginia. Norfolk, Virginia is a very, um, very much, it's a district in need, very much, you know, uh, very diverse, uh, very, very needed. So we're gonna be working with all college schools using our CAL approach as coding and literacy approach and at this curriculum with a Scratch Junior. We're providing iPads for every single school. We've, we're gonna train 450 teachers. It's gonna impact 7,500 students and it's not just the impact, but we're gonna collect data for all these students. So this is really a major uh, endeavor in the lab and it's gonna be a demonstration a piece that then can lead the way to other states because, you know, for me really is the culmination because when we started Scratch Junior it was just a cute, it was nice and kids could use it and a school can use it and sure we have 13 million users 
but this allows us to really collect data and do a study, and this is going to be a controlled study, very rigorous and meticulous, and I think it's going to be a first of its kind. So this is really exciting, and it's all with Scratch Junior because we want a technology that's free and available. Uh, yeah. Are you moving to Norfolk? No, but I'm not. But we have a wonderful <laughs> team in, in Norfolk. So this is, uh, for the last two years, <coughs> we've been working with Norfolk Virginia already, established a partnership very strong on a different grant from the Department of Defense with Kibo, with eight schools. So we build a very strong, for two years, a very strong relationship with them, and we have tech leaders there, and we train them. So now we feel like we are in a really good position to, to start that. I don't have to move there. We have people there. Is this kindergarten teachers? Kindergarten, first and second grade. So we're looking at them. Because they're really flexible, unlike other teachers. No, they're not in Virginia. They're mm -hmm. not. In Virginia, they're not flexible. That's kindergarten teachers. Mm -hmm. It's sad. It's not like it used to be. It's very aligned. The way this is planned is because we have data to show that they can be improving literacy scores. And we had that data from the previous work with eight schools. So they want to see. And all the curriculum is aligned with what the state of Virginia says they should be teaching in math and in literacy and in computer science. So, so now we can open it up for the most fun part. If you want videos or anything, all the curriculum, everything is available uh, on the website. We have tons of videos, curriculum, papers with the actual data, and uh, website. Yes. Uh, I was wondering if um, you studied uh, the relation of executive function of our children in the age period, Scratch uh, Junior yeah, so many years ago I had a student, Elizabeth Myers, who now uh, directs the evaluation uh, project at WGBH. Uh, her thesis was, when Scratch Junior was just beginning, was on executive function, right? And looking at executive function uh, with kids who are using Scratch Junior. So we've done some of that. The problem is like the methods, the instruments for evaluating executive function are not, well, you know, I mean, there are, you know, what is executive function? From a cognitive perspective, executive function is about many things, yeah, yeah. right? So you need to really isolate. So she isolated into two components, sequencing and correspondence. But there are other things like uh, time on task and, and memory and things like that. Yeah. I, I was also just wondering about um, such things such as like capacity for Actually, that's the beauty of coding. You don't have delayed gratification because you do and it happens. Right? So for a kid that has a story, you might not have your full story, for example, the caterpillar going to eat the food. You might not have it all complete, but if you program to move forward, it's going to move forward. So it actually helps with delay gratification because you see, that is the beauty of coding. You see, you do, and you see. And that's, I think, one of the differences with right with the why we're having why we see kids debugging more than editing the stories, because those kids that debug they debug they try it works or doesn't work but they have an external audience the the computer right who or the robot that responds or doesn't respond while in writing it's all in your head you read it you write it and you read it yourself right and maybe it's an external person so it's.
Yeah. So there's no real audience, like in, there's not feedback. So uh, I had a interesting question. Cynthia mentions candidate RT should be more flexible. Um, and I'm, I'm aware that, certainly around here, there's increasing pressure on to, uh, the lower grades to function more like the upper grades, being much more rigid or sort of more rigid. I guess my question is, are you going to be able to sort of buck that while doing this work? Yeah, so actually, if the beauty of coding is that schools need coding. Early childhood, they are desperate to bring coding into schools. They don't know how to do it. And it's the districts are mandated it. So we don't have a system for teachers because the teachers see coding as an opportunity to bring back play. But we're not talking openly that that's what they are doing, right? They are bringing coding, and the curriculum shows the alignment to literacy, the mapping. You know, how I, we're meeting this standard, and we're meeting this standard, we're meeting the standard. Yeah, we're also playing, but that's side. So we actually, teachers, we are, we are pretty well receiving general by early childhood teachers and districts because they feel they can, in Spanish, matar dos pájaros de un tiro, I don't know how you say it. like you, you get two birds for one, right? Because they are fulfilling what districts say, and at the same time it's a door to, back to play. Um, I have a question about the little robot. How much is it? You have all the way from, there are different versions from 199 to 500. Depends on how many blocks and how many modules or how many things. So it's actually, it's comparable to a Lego or cheaper. So it's really private schools then? No. Actually, I'd say most public schools, uh, because they get grants. The, actually, the public, Lowell has them. You think, uh, most districts have a Cambridge, like, Virginia, the first they, they got it before, right? Uh, because they get grants. The problem is that they are the, the the poor schools get a lot of type of I don't know what kind of grants to buy technology, and what it's available for them, they don't like it, right? They, they don't like it because there are not that many constructionist open-ended tools. Uh, actually, for early childhood, there are very few. There are almost none. There are almost none. So, keyboard really was was very successful, we never sold keyboard, people bought keyboard, in the sense that uh, there's a need. And Virginia, how they came to us is because, originally for the first study, is because they were mandated to teach computer science, the only thing they knew was code.org, and then the teacher saw me giving a talk and said, why are we wasting our time teaching code.org when these other things exist? And in terms of robotic kids, they are not, uh, you know, you have other ones, but they are cute robots, but the programming still happens on iPads, and when you have screen-free, you know, so yeah. I have another question. Why, why, or did you think about having the same icons on both like robot blocks and Scratch Junior? You know, I have a problem with some of the icons Scratch Junior. I mean, you get used to them. Yeah, so it's a different, it's two different projects, right? So Kivo is my project alone. It's my grant alone. It's a TAPS project. It's Scratch Junior is a collaboration with uh, MIT and a collaboration with a Peacock company. But they wouldn't, if you had said, so it's two different projects. We don't want to mix them up because But wouldn't they it be interesting to see if, if, Using the same icons made a difference. 
Maybe. Maybe. We actually did one study that we stopped, which was to look at, to combine Kibo and Scratch Jr. So we created a module on Kibo that will trigger the movement of the characters on Scratch Jr. Uh, and we tested with a couple of teachers and no one saw the benefit. They said, you know, if we want screen, we want screen. If we want physical and tangible, we want physical and tangible. We don't want this weird combination. There's no benefit for that. So we stopped that project. Uh, no, yeah, but I understand that, uh, no, it's two different projects, we don't want to miss that, different IP, different everything, you know, we don't want to, yeah, different people, different everything. Yeah. You take one more, just because of time, but... Thank you very much. It's very impressed to see the, all the trajectories <laughs> developing, and also seriously grounded on the theory of the reading and writings, and also sequential natures. So many questions about the computational thinking, I think I clearly see its advancement of this one to the next page. My question is other way of thinking, like visual thinking. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of sketching, drawing. What's the state of arts, scientific research about the literacy of visual representation and communication? Also, what possible technical means, not sequential, but more spatial, more visual? Do you have any advice about the hint? Yeah, I don't know, but I know that at least, uh, especially, that would be amazing to, to do more on that, especially because there are kids that have a hard time with learning issues where, you know, you don't, there's a whole community of kids and teachers that come to us all the time and say, what can you do for my kids that are blind or they have, the, or they are dyslexic so they have problems, but they still have the, the, the thinking, it's just they cannot express it in this form of representation. And so we haven't done anything. We know very little about that, but I think there is a huge need for that. My question is, is any uh, serious bulk of the research as reading, writing, in the domain of the visual thinking? I, I, for early childhood, no. Uh, no there, there, it, for early childhood, there is on the art, like yeah. children's art, but it's not as a system. You know what there is that's fascinating in dance? Dance, I see. So dance, actually I was showing this, I was talking with my colleague in the, who's the chair of the dance program, and she said, we have an equivalent alphabet for dance movements. And she showed it to me, and we're like, wow. Yeah. The way of thinking and talking was exactly the same. But my point is, a fostering more improvisational uh, ideation stage, we don't have uh, oh, yes. stream or structure. This is a very executable uh, stream, but it's uh, like a PowerPoint slide. Before presentation, you have all the sequence. But in the beginning, so many clusters floating, how to connect, how to organize. That part is something equally important as reading, writing. But I couldn't find any very good literature of theoretical grammar. Because, because they are trying to get rid of that in ah, schools. See, they are trying to get rid. So for example, in Scratch Junior, uh, it's designed where you, when you look at the the first programs that kids create are exactly like that. Nice. They are all over the place. They are not in a sequence. And they nice. still function. It works. Yes. It works. But the goal of the teacher, because they try to get them into sequencing for mm -hmm. reading and writing, is ah. to help them fix that. Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, and I wonder if someone has other languages, you know, I wonder if other languages where sequences are different, I wonder yeah. if exposing to mm -hmm. that might be, yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm around.